Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that uh, you've put uh, so much in there to strengthen us and equip us in our faith. And I pray that now you would uh, use this time to build up your people, to strengthen them in their faith, to encourage them in their resolve to uh, hold fast to the confession. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, 
We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. So, this story is written to God's people Uh, facing pressure, this is what I think these words are written to, facing pressure to compromise in their faith and conform to the culture around them. And this story, I think, is written in order to strengthen such people's faith and to encourage their resolve to remain committed to the God of Israel and to look to him, even in the face of death. And so, the first thing I want to say, is that however we walk away from here tonight, I hope that 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 comes through, that in the face of pressure to conform and compromise, because of the culture around, 
and to renounce the faith, we would find courage through this story uh, to stand firm and be resolved to trust in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thinking about the story a little bit more, in large part, Daniel 3 is an imitation story. We're presented with a picture of great faith, these men, and I think the intention is that we are invited into the story to imitate their faith. I think that's how it, how it works. Some of us might have an allergic reaction to that, um, thinking that uh, using Old Testament characters as heroes to imitate, uh, perhaps aware that you've heard the story about David and Goliath perhaps being misabused and thinking there's a danger that we overlook the work of Jesus on our behalf and we're kind of left burdened uh, under the weight of trying to follow such courageous footsteps. But may I suggest that it doesn't have to be like that and to give some uh, biblical evidence to that. uh, Hebrews 11 gives us a long list of heroes of faith to imitate. So I'll just very briefly go there because I want us to go there if you like or not, but I do want us to see that it's okay to see their faith and to be inspired uh, and strengthened to imitate such faith. Look, uh, you can see it in chapter 11 what's going on if you don't know already, but you can see easily by looking at the first words of each verse. Look at verse 3. By faith, dot, dot, dot. Verse 4, by faith, Abel, dot, dot, dot. Uh, verse 5, by faith Enoch, dot, dot, dot. Verse 6, by faith Noah, etc., dot, dot, dot. And you get all the way down here to verse 32. And then it says, so what's happening here is, is, is a long list of people who by faith did X. And the author of Hebrews is uh, encouraging people to see that, uh, uh, to stand firm in their faith and hold fast their profession, uh, partly in the face of suffering. Um, and uh, in verse 32... Says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Now listen, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, maybe Daniel 6, quenched the fury of the flames, maybe Daniel 3, uh, and escaped uh, the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies, etc. And you see here, verse 35, women received back their dead. I see the reference there to women indicating that it's not just the people mentioned in verse 32 that are um, referred to there in verses uh, 33 and 34. So there's a possibility even in Hebrews that the the author is is giving a a little allusion to this story uh, to strengthen uh, faith. And, and a part of the reason why uh, these examples of faith don't undermine the gospel as well is because faith isn't a work. And that's really, that's really good to get clear. A faith is trusting in the work of God. So going back to who this story is written for, we see that uh, an enduring relevance here for the people of God and for us today. Because it's written to them in a situation that is where there's pressure to conform. And we also have that same sort of pressure. 
Don't we just live in a world that screams compromise and conform? Perhaps you might be able to resonate with some of these examples uh, and maybe you know your own. Maybe it's uh, in medical practices uh, that cross the line, championing a utilitarian ethic that asks you to bow to the God of advancement. Maybe it's business deal pressure towards dishonesty, asking you to bow to the God of money and security. Maybe it's just simply pressure to happily jolly along quietly amongst the crowd, bowing to the God of disillusionment. Don't come crashing in with serious reality into our party. Or maybe it's pressure, which I think there is here, to domesticate your faith. Just keep it subordinate to something else. Don't let it, don't let it grow up and rule over everything. Maybe there's political reasons, keep it, out of, keep it out of there. Maybe there are cultural reasons, keep it quiet in this context. Maybe there are academic reasons, stay credible. Um, So there are pressures of all kinds to compromise and conform. And we, and we feel those today. Now I'm going to bring out, uh, draw out just a couple of threads in this story. And the first one is, I've got, my, I've got a title, Faith Under Fire. Apparently it's a, there's a French word for it, a, uh, you know, a French little saying for this kind of thing. But uh, anyway, that's for another day. Um, so, the first thing we're going to look at is the pressure and then the type of faith in response. Let's just uh, get into the story and look at the scenario that's painted and the kind of pressure that is being presented uh, for us. The first thing is the enormous image, chapter 3, verse 1. It's, 60, it's a 30 metre high image. We're first presented with this enormous golden image and the, the, there's the draw of the glam. The second is the entourage of people. Verse 2, then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and note, and all the other provincial officials. If you just scan your eye up to chapter 2, verse 49, you see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have just been made minister, chief ministers over the province of Babylon. They also are provincial officials so they've got their peers around here now. It's all the important peers. The third thing is the, is the number of people. Look in uh, verse 4. Nations and peoples of every language. Everybody is doing it. We feel the pressure of how hard it is to stand alone, to be the only one standing out in the crowd. The next is the noise. In verse 5, so here, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the, hire, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, and part of the way that it's written with this kind of repetitious, uh, you know, uh, superfluous, is it superfluous? Uh, wording is, is helps to have a kind of almost a disorienting effect the clatter, the noise, the people, the officials, the gold, the image, the, the pressure is mounting. The next is the, is the power of the king. Look in uh, verse 3. 
and, and in verse, uh, verse 3 and verse 7 you see this, this uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar summoned the satraps, verse 3, so the satraps came. Verse 4, uh, the herald proclaimed loudly, verse 7, therefore as soon as they heard the sound they bowed down. So we see the power of King Nebuchadnezzar. He speaks and it's done and he's the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 13, you'll see there, by the time Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego meet Nebuchadnezzar, he is furious with rage. And if all that doesn't say enough, there's the threat of death. You've got three, there's three words loaded up here. It's an unnecessary amount of language. It's a burning, fiery furnace. Here you have, you have a, 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 a summary of that, the blazing furnace. But it's, it's this, the, the threat of death in their face. And this setting is designed to draw the reader in and to show empathy with the reader. So right up to this point, when we've got right down to verse we haven't even got to what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are going to do at this point. That's going to come just now. We have uh, up to uh, verse 15. We've just got pressure mounting and tension building and the scenario being set. And it's designed to draw the reader into to feel that pressure of, yes, we are in situations where we feel that kind of pressure. <coughs> we feel that. And it's really hard. Really, really hard. And what's going to happen? What are they going to say? And there are clues in here that we know that, that, that what they're going to do is wrong. Right through the story. There's the image of gold. When you hear this image of gold and language of worshipping and worshipping and bowing down and serving images. In the background, looming back here is, uh, is Sinai. Mount Sinai. You've got the Ten Commandments. You've got the golden calf. You've got loud... Uh, you've got an alarm bell going off. This is not right. You've also got the repetition of Nebuchadnezzar. It's the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar set up. It's the image that he set up, that he made. You've got clear here pressure. Am I going to conform and compromise or am I going to hold fast the confession and worship the God of Israel? What's at stake is the first and second commandment and compromising. And will they buckle? So that's the pressure. The next thing we're looking, we'll look now is at the profession. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, two Ps. Uh, um, and and this, is where I, uh, this is where I'm kind of going to let us linger and uh, hopefully we can take away some gems from here, is how they respond to this situation and what we can learn about faith uh, through, uh, through their response. First thing is it's quite surprising how little, uh, I've been struck by how little Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego kind of play in this whole story. Uh, in the whole thing, they've actually only got three verses and it's just their confession. They don't say anything else up to that point. Uh, it, it's, been, it's just been telling us about what's been happening in the first section. Then you've got these uh, astrologers or Chaldeans who come and accuse them. And then you've got King Nebuchadnezzar, a furious rage. And then all, the, all that the Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have is just their confession. 
And in some ways that confession is quite simple. It's just a simple confession of we're not going to compromise on our faith. Um, and I feel like there's something in this. There's some, something in the simplicity of faith. Something in the simplicity of what it actually involves for us. Um, there's, there's nothing too extraordinary in what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego do. They just say, we're not going to worship another god and come what may with the results. And I find that kind of, I find that kind of refreshing and encouraging um, for myself. But a couple of other things about, um, about what they do is that the first thing, I, I, think, I think that their first statement indicates, and this is, this, this is maybe the, 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 the best gem, is I think that they know the real battle. And I think this is probably really helpful for our faith. Look at the first thing that they say in verse 16. They, they reply to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. And can I put it this way? They know who the battle is really between. The battle in this whole story is not between Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and King Nebuchadnezzar. It's between the God of Israel and King Nebuchadnezzar. (coughs) Nebuchadnezzar has set himself up against the God of Israel. And I think think that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego can see that and that is giving them strength. And that is a pattern that we see in Scripture. God encourages Samuel uh, when Israel is... Uh, rejecting uh, saying that they want a king and to encourage Samuel God says to him it's not you that they're rejecting but it's me that they're rejecting not only so but Jesus also in John 15 when he's encouraging the disciples about the the persecution that they're going to face in the future and and that kind of um, that's, that's an encouraging word for us as well is he says to them remember if they hate you, they hated me first. They're going to persecute you for my name's sake. The real battle here is between Nebuchadnezzar and God and in our context, when opposition comes, there's a battle between uh, either the forces of darkness or the people that are attacking us and God. It's Christ that they uh, are against. And, and I find that comforting to see, to see that clearly. You might also say that they can also see the facade in it all and there's, and there's strength to be found in seeing the, the folly of idolatry. Uh, you know, it's, Nebuch- it's something Nebuchadnezzar has set up. There's a folly in this image that's been made and everybody worshipping this thing that he made. Um, but there's also a bit of a challenge here in this text because it's not just uh, for these guys prior to um, you see for us on this side of the story we can see oh yes but they made it out you know but in the moment they didn't know whether they were going to make it out their confession came before there was deliverance from God and so the, the heat that they felt at the time was, um, uh, was real. And, and what's interesting about their faith is that it's not just pragmatic. 
And there might be a bit of a challenge in that for us. <coughs> they say they're not going to worship another god, even if it costs us our life. It's not just a your best life now faith that says I'm following Christ because it works out best for me now. And I think that's important because that's still the situation for us today. Sure, following Christ comes with a whole bunch of joys, but Paul tells Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life will face trials. They'll face persecutions. You will put yourself in the line of fire by identifying with Christ, by holding fast to his ethic, by living for him and confessing him in the world. And so their faith wasn't just about how it would work out best for them. And they could have made a whole host of excuses as to why they needed to remain in their positions. So we see this faith of these guys radically uncompromised were invited in to have the same kind of faith that says I'll rather die than worship another God. That's pretty radical. I'd rather die than worship another God. Verse 18, but even, if, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, the final thing to say is just a point to uh, the God who is able. Because all along in this story, there's another question, and that question is, is God able? We see that in, uh, in verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar makes this statement, you know, right before Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's confession, right at the height of the pressure, at the end of verse 15, he says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego say, the God we serve, verse 17, is able to deliver us. And then if we go right down to uh, verse 20... Um, oh, no. Um, sorry. It's coming. Oh yeah, there it is. At the end of verse 29, Nebuchadnezzar says, For no other God can save in this way. As the story concludes, no other God can save in this way. And so there's a pointer to, uh, the, to the people in that context, looking on, you know, in, in, that, that Daniel's written to, in a culture that wants them to compromise and conform, and you're drawn into this story to feel this, uh, uh, to empathise with this pressure that they face, 
to see this confession uh, and, and, and uh, invited him to say, yes, let's hold that same confession, have that same kind of faith, and to lift up your eyes to the God who's able to save. There's not a promise in there that he definitely will, I don't think. And I think that their, their statement, he's able, and, and they say, and he will, but even if he doesn't, and I think that's what uh, the people are supposed to, people reading it are supposed to hear that same thing, because it's not purely pragmatic. Um, but he's able to save. And so the story is able to communicate both of those things. <coughs> It's also, it's not just about the power of God to rescue, it's also for them to see the power of God, and this is always a challenge for the people on the inside, faced with the, with the pressure from persecution. It's also the power of God to change a life and save, because we see Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar change through the story. His confession at the start is everybody, all nations and languages and peoples bow down to the image. His confession at the end is nobody say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And I think part of what's happening here is God is, God's grace in, in Daniel 2 to 4, uh, it, it's a, God's kind of, he's just woven in here as well in all that he's doing, you know, these reminders that salvation is not just at the end of the day for the Jews, but it goes out wider than that. And that's a reminder for us too in the face of our enemies who might be putting pressure and we feel like there's persecution from them towards us, that he's their God as well and he's the God who through our simple confession of faith can turn hearts and change confessions on the other side and to remember that. God's grace is also in this story for Nebuchadnezzar, amazingly. Uh, and it's not until chapter 4 that I think we see uh, his, his confession fully turn around as he kind of goes through his journey. And just as we wrap up now, final word is what about now that we're on this side with Christ? How does this get us to Christ? And I think some things are the same. I think there's that pressure is the same. I think also that there's uh, the call to live distinctly is the same. Uh, and I think that uh, living distinctly also brings with it conflict. That hasn't changed. I think that the answer is still saying dying is better than denying I think that some things are also different though. And, and one of the biggies is the resurrection. The re- Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead means that the statement by Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, when they say, and he will deliver us, is now how much more sure for believers now. And he will deliver us. It may not be right now in this present age, but there is absolute guarantee that he will deliver us. Christ has risen from the dead. Hold fast the profession. Love not your life even unto death because death is not the end. Christ is the victory. And so there's, there's a resurrection. Even just There might even be a glimmer in the in, 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 I think in Daniel there is, you you get resurrection at the end of the book of Daniel. And this might just be a glimmer of that. The men who say God will rescue us, who pass through the fire and come out the other side, 
that there is a kind of uh, 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 a death and a resurrection for them, uh, a glimpse uh, pointing to what is, co- what is to come and what has come in Christ for us now, so that we can now have that same profession. So where does that leave us? The final word is for us from Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 Hold fast your confession without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Father in heaven, we, we just recognise that there is, uh, there is as much pressure in this world to compromise and to conform and that it's hard. Thank you for this story uh, that acknowledges that challenge, that sets forth this great example of faith that invites us. Thank you for the display of your power in this story, uh, for the way that uh, you show that you can change the heart for the way that you rescue your people. Pray, God, that you would help us to see that the battle is ultimately uh, is not ours to fight, that uh, it is your battle. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to trust in you in those trying situations where we feel pressure, maybe from our colleagues or our fellow students or family or wherever it might be, to compromise our faith, please cause us to stand firm, to love not our lives even unto death and to say that to die is better than to deny you. So please strengthen us we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.